Welcome everyone to Flyer Footy. My name is Matt Baker, joined as always by my friend in soccer, Santiago Beltran. And we're here the day after St. Louis City's 2 0 win against New York City FC for another edition of Fallout. Santi, how you doing? How was your night after that big St. Louis City win? Doing great, Matt. Uh, it's a happy morning. A great game by St. Louis City SC, and we're here to talk about it with coffee. I love the morning after, you know, after these, after these matches, we love doing this on a Sunday. We love streaming this on a Sunday. We love recording it. And it's, it's those knee jerk reactions, right? You don't get too much time to process everything. You don't get too much time to analyze it. Just enough time to really let your, your knee jerk thoughts flow. Let's start it off. Like we always do with our starting 11. This was a good one. I was excited to see this. I think from my counts, we had nine of 11 of these correct from flyer footies predictions. And we would have had 10 had I not <laughs> knee-jerk reaction, the Michael Venzel short-term loan call-up. So the lineup we ran out was Roman Berkey and Nett, Anthony Markanik, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, Thomas Totland in the back line, Chris Durkin, Edu Leuven in the midfield, Celio Pompeu, AZ Jackson, Indiana Vasilev at the attacking mids, and then Sam Adenarin up top. What'd you make of this strong starting eleven? Very, very competitive starting eleven. We we have been talking about oh maybe some guys uh, still need rest, but uh, after thinking about it and talking about it, like the game was on Tuesday, so you have an extra day to recover. And um, the other thought was um, there is no midweek game, so just go for it with your best eleven, and and then you will have some time to rest. Uh, because the next game is not until Saturday. So, so yeah, I really like it. I, I really like to see uh, Celio starting, also seeing uh, Basilev uh, in his uh, natural position, uh, offensive midfielder. So I think that combination really worked well last night. I've got Joachim Nilsson as one of, our, one of my players of the game, one of my notables, but Indiana Vasilev was a good shout because we're really seeing what we signed Indiana, Indiana Vasilev to be last year. He had to do a lot of things. And we, we talked, we touched on it a few weeks ago. He was asked to do a lot of things last year that he might not have been comfortable at or hadn't had experience with, but he seems just unlocked free in that attacking role in his ability to make those cuts direct to goal, the way he's playing off of a high level fullback in Thomas Totland. There's a lot to like about what Indy had. And I like what Carnell said post game, as far as their mindset coming into this, he said, we came out today to send a message to show that we were a little bit angry with ourselves in the past performance and to set things straight. And I've, I've seen the intentions in training. I've seen the intentions and the messaging within the locker rooms. And I thought over the 90 minutes, we dominated a very, very good team here at City Park. And yeah, it was a good feeling to get back to winning ways. And I, I like that in the time period you mentioned, it was, it was a short turnaround from the adjustments that you can make tactically but it was long enough to give some guys fresh legs. And I think that enabled this kind of starting 11 that we saw. And they came out firing. I, I felt like from back line to front line, the way we were connecting the lines in particular, this 11 played really well together. And the only notables I think I have in this lineup were Jabulu Blom was held out. And Carnell said he got a knock in, in training this week. So it seems like they're evaluating him and... Um, we'll hope to find more this week on long-term prognosis for Jabula Blome. We know Josh Yarrow was out with a hamstring. Kyle Hebert's still injured with his knee. That enabled Michael Venzel to have his second call-up, second short-term loan for uh, for St. Louis City. And the notable thing I'll have for Michael Venzel, and we'll probably talk about it on socials, is this was his second call-up 
second of four. So he gets two more call-ups and he can appear in two more MLS matches because the rules specify four total call-ups, two MLS league match appearances, and uh, an unlimited amount pursuant to those four call-ups for other competitions. So he still has two matches that he can appear in essentially however he sees fit. That's exciting for Wenzel's more flexibility. And it seemed like he was just providing cover at this point. So when we predicted he would start based off what he did on Tuesday, that was obviously incorrect based on what Joachim Nilsson was able to do. That in and of itself, Joachim Nilsson, the guy who was perpetually hurt last year and was dealing with ailment <laughs> after ailment, able to come back after playing 90 minutes uh, or after, after subbing out with a glute injury apparently on Tuesday to play 90 minutes. That's fantastic. And I, I don't I don't see any other way to look at Joachim Nilsson's performance, which we'll touch on a little bit further, as amazing. Yeah, what a shift by by Nilsson. And obviously the announcement of the short term loan um changed our our projected starting eleven, but um great performance by Nilsson and it's great. Uh, the comment you made about Michael Wenzel, the, the appearance in a CONCACAF Champions Cup doesn't count as one of the two. So he still has uh, two games. He he can appear and uh, he can still play two games. So that's that's good to know. I think he's going to be a, a good option. And I'm going to I'm sure we're going to see more short term loans uh, where Wenzel is there. Yeah, and I know uh, John Love from the Lunatics podcast is watching and he whispers a first team contract. And I, I echo that to no end. I was a huge Wenzel fan on Tuesday in Champions Cup. I think everybody is at least a little bit now, if you weren't familiar with his work with City 2, where he played every started every game last year. Um, a first-team contract is in his future. I'll say that. We, he didn't feature in this game, but that's my opinion. Yeah, and I think the team is going to, at some point, if needed, they're going to sign him this season. But for now, just use the short-term loan mechanism and um, after they run out of that um, I'm sure they will start looking at that first team contract if if it's needed so of the players that played we love talking about passing lanes average positioning unfortunately mlssoccer.com really seems like they've done away with the passing networks and that was one of our go-to stats last year seeing how these guys lined up and where the lanes were were being identified and really utilized so in its place, we're looking at average positioning of both the starters and the subs. And this doesn't seem like as much of, of a vertical average positioning for St. Louis City. There's a lot of connectedness, I think we saw with these lines. So if you look at the average positioning, only Tim Parker and Joachim Nilsson are really back in our half with Roman Berkey. Everybody else from Thomas Totlin, Anthony Marcanic, our fullbacks, are midfield or higher. And you see this, you see this, um, it's not quite a, just a two in the back, but it kind of is where Totlin and Marcanic, they're showing their wingback potential and wingback form. And Dewar did at the end of the game as well, where they're lining up closer to Chris Durkin in their average positioning. Durkin was being that pivot, that number six, that was enabling Leuven to move higher in the field as that eight box-to-box player who controlled so much of the flow. But that has the connectedness that we've been missing in these first couple of games. The, the passing between the lines, the overlapping runs on the wings, all of that was enabled because you have such a flat average positioning with our fullbacks and our center defensive mid. And then that next line up where you have Indy, Leuven, Salio, Sam, and AZ all pretty tightly compacted together. And when you have those average positionings, you're seeing some of those runs be enabled that you were having Indiana Vasilev, Salio, and especially Sam and Denneron make. What did, what did you make of the way that we seem to employ some of these tactics? 
I, I really like it. And, and you've seen uh, those uh, small uh, like societies like uh, Totland, Totland uh, and Indiana Vasilev, Markanik and uh, Celio on the left, like, uh, like everybody around midfield and uh, that allows uh, players to move and run behind and, and just create plays. Um, like uh, I think the team did a really good job connecting passes last night. And um, just 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 those runs behind uh, really work really well. So uh, I really like what I saw overall. And uh, Totland continues uh, showing uh, he has been a great addition to to the team. Uh, he didn't play last game, but he the, the other three games, the first two games, and then this one, 90 minutes, and uh, he continues showing that um, he had he was a great addition for the team. I'm glad you said Totland because and mentioned that he didn't play last game. Everybody saw the disconnects and the issues that we had in that second leg Houston match with progressing the ball up. To me, Thomas Totland is the most notable person that you can point to as the X factor. And the the amount of times, the amount of touches that he had moving the ball up the right side and just what his presence was doing for St. Louis City, that that caused so much of the positivity that we saw against New York City. And it was lacking. So if you look at one person that could make a difference – I would look to Thomas Totlin just as much as anybody like a Nielsen or a Leuven in what they brought to the team. I think the Thomas Totlin St. Louis City side is vastly different. And hopefully we see something similar that starts to even out when you get Nicholas Dewar in that game. Yeah, and he got uh, Nicholas Dewar got his first uh, minutes with the team. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully more to come. The debut patch made its appearance on Nicholas Dewar's <laughs> number 44. Be watching for that on a Tops card near you later this year. Santi, let's take a look at some of these stats that played into this. Possession, another one where you look to last game with Houston on the Tuesday loss, and our possession was sub 30%. We're back in that sweet spot with this one, where depending on the, the, the metric that you look at between FOPMOB, MLS Soccer, or FBREF, they're all slightly different, but they average out to around 45% for St. Louis City, 55% for New York City. And the XG on these, the XG is, is one of those where if you look at it at face value – it doesn't look as impressive as if mm -hmm. you understand what went into it. St. Louis, a 0.8 XG overall, which makes sense with the, the goals we scored being the way they came in those transitions and those potentially low percentage places on the field. But I'm more interested in New York City's XG. 0.51 is what FOPMOB had. They're, they're around there, 0 0.5, 0 0.7. But the bulk, at least half of their XG came on that one, I'll put air quotes, shot from Honey Wolf when he almost collided with Roman Berkey, they gave him that one shot on target, which was New York City's only shot on target, and they gave it as a high percent XG just based on where the ball hit him when Berkey came to confront him. Was it, was it as stellar of a defensive job and overall performance by City to limit them to otherwise around a .25 XG in this game? Yeah, yeah, it was. And, and I know we're going to talk more about Nilsson, but uh, he was he was everywhere. And yeah, the team is doing really well, um, not allowing the opposition to create a lot of chances. And uh, we saw that last night and that connected with with the way the team was uh, connecting passes and uh, transitioning. I think everything uh, worked all around for City last night. We also had some other interesting, uh, notable stats. I mentioned New York City had only one shot on goal. And I, I juxtaposed this to the RSL game 
last MLS match at City Park, RSL only had three shots on goal too. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing some consistency in our ability to limit teams in their overall chances on target. And St. Louis in particular had some really strong performances that we hadn't seen yet this year. This was kind of a breakout game for the 2024 version of St. Louis City that if you look at FOTMOB again, we had a higher pass completion percentage than New York City, which is just a little bit ridiculous if you think about the style of play that we typically have, the amount of chances that we throw long, and just the overall amount of willingness we have to not complete more than 70, 75% of our passes. The fact that we could be as disrupting to New York City to limit them to around three quarters of their passes completing, as well as be as clinical and successful as we were in progressing the ball. I think part of that, what played into that is winning the dual category. Aerial duels, St. Louis won 17 to eight. That is such a key metric for how this team progresses the ball and moves the ball up the field. It was entirely lacking in the game against Houston, where we were we were doing some inefficient sending, putting our players in the attacking end in difficult spots to win the ball. This one, we were clearly playing on the front foot. 17-8 to eight is an impressive aerial duel stat. And overall in shots, Santi, we led in just about every key category. Total shots, 16-7. to seven. Shots off target, 8-3. to three. Shots on target, 3-1. to one. Was it as dominating of a performance that you remember based on what these stats tell? Well, New York City had some moments uh, on the first half. And uh, I was thinking back at when we talk about uh, positioning with uh, Tim Parker and um, Joachim Nielsen in the back and uh, like everybody towards midfield. Uh, New York City, I think they studied City really well. And uh, on the first half, they have some long ball to try to take advantage of everybody being uh, like by midfield, trying to go behind the back. And um, in terms of chance creations, just just that uh, shot on goal. But uh, they had a couple half chances um, that uh, it wasn't on target. But uh, first half, uh, I think it was closer than what the stats show. Uh, it's just that uh, at the end, St. Louis um, took advantage of that chance with Celio and um, New York City couldn't create and materialize some of those half chances. But uh, I think it was closer than uh, what the stats show. Do you think it was closer in the sense that New York did what St. Louis did against RSL? They would progress the ball to a certain point in the field and then they had trouble getting that final touch or that final pass to create a shot on goal. Because sometimes when you look at shots on target, they don't tell the whole story in how effective you were at progressing the ball and getting the ball to maybe the 18 yard box. They just tell the story of how effective you were at that final pass and finding space to, to get the ball between the lines. Does that speak to the effectiveness of Joachim Nielsen and Tim Parker, maybe even Markanik and Totland, who at times were inverting in to help out in preventing those passing lanes from reaching that final spot? Yeah, definitely. In the, in the final third, uh, St. Louis was very clinical with Nilsson, Parker. Um, I just keep thinking about that shift that Nilsson had last night. Uh, but yeah, St. Louis did a really good job in the final third, not allowing New York City to, to connect the passes. Goals in both halves make this an, a fun story to tell because you get to talk about the progression in each half that led to each one of the goals. I think the tone was set early on by St. Louis City in that first half. The seven-minute mark was the most notable play that really kicked off, and it was by Tim Parker, who if you're going to have somebody set the tone for the team the rest of the game, it should be Tim Parker. And the way he did this with a slide tackle in the middle of the field to set up a transition moment for our first 
really good chance that went off the post. Tim Parker, not reckless abandon, but I think it was a very smart, very obvious tackle that hit the ball. And so for Tim Parker to really say, we're going to go for this. We're not going to, we're not going to play around. We're not going to go one V one, just standing up, trying to get the ball, but he's really going to go for it. That led the ball to Edu Leuven, who in foretelling future passes and future events hit Salio in stride very well. Salio made just a couple quick moves towards center and really direct to goal. And then that was our first off the post. This one on the left side of the post that we had, did that set the tone for you as much as I'm trying to make it seem like it did? Yeah, yeah, it was early. It was early in the game, and and uh, Celio going from from long range, uh, which was something I, I really liked last night too. St. Louis wasn't trying to get in the box and and have like the perfect chance. I like uh, what the team was doing, taking shots from from long long range when they had a space. We we also saw one from AC that hit the post. Uh, Sam also had one that uh, went over went over. Same thing, Marcanic on the second half. So um, I really like that approach. Um, like uh, the the team must have seen something on. New York City and try to take advantage on, of those uh, long range shots. When we talk about the game flow, one thing I do want to mention in the in the break of this is at the 12 minute mark, you could hear it on the Apple replay. I checked on it before we started recording just to make sure it came through. There's a massive open cup chant that broke out in the supporter section. I say broke out, it was obviously coordinated in conjunction with the pregame march to the match that had the Open Cup banners being marched in, or marched around the stadium, rather. They didn't enter the stadium. Um, Marching around as kind of a show of solidarity to the history of the Open Cup. And so that, we know that's looming to this match. We know that is, that's surrounding everything that has to do with the Open Cup and the fact that St. Louis City, and St. Louis in general, is not participating in the Open Cup this year. We heard that uh, announced finally this past Friday. But... The fact that the Open Cup is such a meaningful thing that not just the supporters took the opportunity to march the flags around the stadium to to stop chanting and just say the words Open Cup over and over at the 12-minute mark, but also St. Louis City, as much as they can do in this MLS ecosystem, they spoke out about it. Diego Giolini, general manager, spoke out about it on Friday. We saw FC Cincinnati speak out about it as well. And St. Louis City, to their credit, did spotlight the supporters in the open cut banners on social media. So I think that was a, a really big nod in doing what they can do within the system to voice their dissatisfaction. Just wanted to take that quick aside because it was, it was an impactful moment to me in the stadium. When I heard that happen, mm-hmm. I didn't know, I didn't know when it was going to happen. I heard there was going to be something, but I think it came across really well. And I'm excited that it came across as much as it did on Apple TV. Oh, I have to. I have to check that out. I, I I missed it. I get so into the game that uh, sometimes I miss those things. Santi, but, if if you started hearing supporter chants, I would I would wonder what you're doing because I listen to your calls and I know the fact that you are, you are talking at such a rapid pace with such excitement and fervor that it it I would be shocked if you had the time and awareness to realize what was going on like that. Yeah, but yeah, no. Quick shout out to the Open Cup. Uh, I. I like that the team uh, took it so seriously and uh, manifested on social media. And hopefully down the road, um, it can do more um, to uh, be an agent of change. Obviously, there is a competition committee that decides those things, but uh, hopefully I think can do more down the road. 
a competition committee, which we are not on, by the way, who decides mm-hmm. a lot of the directions for those. But a certain team from the West who plays in the state next to us is on. Just had to get that out there, as I do. You mentioned another opportunity off the post as we transition back to the game. This happened at the 32-minute mark. AZ Jackson hits the right post, and so you wonder at what point are we going to hit the crossbar, which we didn't. But this was awesome because we go back to Indiana Vasilev, who you mentioned earlier on. We gave credit to in his attacking. This is an Indiana Vasilev defensive move, and it really shows his two-way capability on that attacking end. Bradley Carnell spoke post-game when he was talking about how the back line might have provided the, the effectiveness and the high level of the back line, knowing that Parker and Nilsson are there might have emboldened our front line. Carnell kind of just said that's, that's their job. That's the front line's job to initiate those presses. And that's exactly what Indiana Vasilev did at the 32 minute mark. He initiated a press on the right side. It created a pass that was probably a little too early than what New York city wanted to send to the midfield. And then after that, he was joined by Tim Parker and Chris Durkin, who were pressing high into the midfield, into St. Louis's attacking end to create that disruption. And it was actually uh, Tim Parker who played it over to Chris Durkin. Durkin caused the turnover, feeding it to AZ Jackson in the middle. AZ Jackson had a little bit of a transition moment and took it himself. I was kind of surprised to see AZ Jackson with the being emboldened or, or being brave enough to take this himself. But he did from outside the box. And the angle of the shot that AZ took was what was most impressive, going far post from that left side. It was just tipped, I think, by keeper Matt Fries. I'm almost positive he got a fingertip on it, which caused it to hit the post. So accurate shot from distance. And I like that AZ Jackson's willing to take that opportunity because so many times in the previous couple of games, we just wish players would make that turn right towards goal and just do something. And I, whether it was Chris Durkin doing that later on in the game from outside the box and sending it wide high, I just like these opportunities where in transition, the St. Louis City style is not to progress the ball up to the attacking third and the 18-yard box and then wait for others to come pull the ball back and then work it around. It's to progress the ball up, look for one or two passes at, at a quick pace, and then go for goal. And, and when AZ Jackson had that opportunity here, he went for goal. And it kind of set the tone again for the next few minutes going into the 34th minute, which was the key moment, that pivotal moment that if you look to things that are game changers, you have to look to this one. It was a team passing uh, that really drew New York City FC deep into their zone and an immediate force turnover that tell the story of this one. So, Santi, let me frame this and let me get your thoughts on the 34th minute goal by Celio Pompeo that sent us up one nothing. I thought it started with the play right before this where you're looking at the goal kick that went to Totlin, and I'm going to name a lot of players right here because I was impressed by just how pass happy we were in trying to progress the ball very intentionally, but very methodically. So the goal kick went to Totlin. Totlin played it to Leuven, back to Totlin, back to Tim Parker, and up to Chris Durkin on the right side, through to Indy in the right channel. Indy had it over to AZ in the mid, back to Leuven, who then fed Totlin high on the right. Not quite ticky-tacka passing, but a lot of very quick, intentional, successful passing that St. Louis City hasn't always been known for. Maybe this is one of those opportunities that Carnell had been alluding to, things they had worked on. So Totlin passes it back to Tim Parker. Tim Parker gives it away. Tim Parker, you're, you're sensing a trend, right, of being in that attacking zone a little bit more freely. So after Tim Parker gives it away to NYCFC's Bakrar, he was looking for Leuven at that pass. Leuven was right behind Bakrar. Leuven and AZ step into him, applied pressure, 
And then Anthony Marcanic was the game changer in this play with the slide tackle to win the ball back still in the attacking third. So I think this credits a high press turnover as well. The ball bounced back to James Sands, who James Sands himself was getting pressure, had to make a back pass to their fullback. It was intercepted by Salio on the left wing. And then Salio did what Salio had been doing and attempting so many times earlier in the game, dribbling between defenders, direct to goal, slid it past the keeper on the near side. St. Louis goes up one nothing. What a what a goal! What a goal! And and I like the way uh, you go back to uh, the previous play, and and that's something I really liked yesterday. Uh, St. Louis uh, trying to create instead of being direct, trying to create with more touches, and I I think that's a that's a great a great addition to um, the team to what the team can do to uh, create chances, and then Celio just dribbling around uh, defenders and uh, finding the space. Uh, at the end, I was like, okay, is he going to pass? And then he finds the space uh, to to take that shot. And um, yeah, great, great, um, great team uh, goal, like uh, all the things that led into it. And then Celio just taking his chance and uh, creating a space for himself to, uh, to shoot. And yeah, overall, that was great. And I was really happy to see... Uh, Celio uh, is scoring his first one of the year. Um, like players that played in in CD two, uh, I I have a like I have a great spot for them just because uh, we have seen them uh, all the way from CD two to getting minutes with CD and and now uh, starting games and uh, being important. So uh, I was very happy about seeing Celio scoring. And he had the he had comments that echoed that post game where it seems like Celio is very much the type of player who knows he has things to prove. And maybe coming from City 2, alongside all these high-paid players, these sought-after players from, from abroad, there's a sense of, I need to prove that I belong. And I think that drive and that hunger is, is serving him so well. Because the opportunities, the chances he takes, he's clearly one of the most talented on-the-ball dribblers that we have. And to see him given the opportunity to start, first of all, amongst all these other players essentially in place of Klaus, you can argue, whether it's formation-based or what Salio can offer. I, I love the fact that Salio is taking these opportunities and making himself known. Because you're talking about Sam Adeneran scoring goals and, and Klaus and being in goal-scoring form. Salio Pompeu with goals and assists, he has the potential to be the, the breakout player in the St. Louis City attack this year. Yeah, and I'm glad uh, he had that performance uh, because, yeah, like sometimes you get the opportunities and if you don't perform, then maybe you don't start the next game or mm-hmm. go back to the bench. But uh, I'm glad he, he's taking these opportunities and making the best out of them. And now he's going he's gonna to give uh, a lot of things to think about uh, to Carnell. So uh, it's, good to, it's a good problem to have for sure. And he played well into the second half. So as that second half started, we made no changes. And one of the notable things in the second half, first of all, I didn't think things overall changed in their tone. I thought a lot of the things that we had set going into halftime, we were consistent with. We didn't come out flat-footed. We didn't allow New York City to dictate pace or change any of the game flow. It was, in my eyes, a lot of business as usual compared to that first half. And the notable thing to me in the second half are the subs that we, we utilized not the line changes that Cardell tends to do if he needs to make some kind of a, a, a dynamic change to the tone of the game. Because that's when we see these 
two or three players at a time early on in the second half. It's when Carnell sees something that needs to be changed. Maybe it's a formation that needs to shift. Maybe it's a, a, a player's spot or location that needs to move up or down and a different tone that needs to be set. But with this one, in the 59th minute, Klaus came in for Indiana Vasilev. In the 68th minute, Thomas Ostrock came in for AZ Jackson. And then in the 88th minute, you had Nukvi Thorson and Nicholas Dewar make their appearances for Sam Adenaron and Anthony Markanik. We were like-for-like like changes. We kept consistent the formation and the shape basically the entire 90 minutes. And that's a credit to the guys, not just who went the full 90, but the guys in the first half who set the tone and could keep that tone going into the second half. You know, you don't want Indy to take too many bounces, too many, too many uh, knocks with his arm the way it is. And the amount he was running the entire time, I think that made sense for Klaus to make his appearance and what Klaus ended up being able to offer chance creation wise in the second half. We know Klaus is Klaus. A lot of the other moves, I was, I was surprised. I was uh, pleasantly surprised with Thomas Ostrock. I think he's starting to find some consistency here, whether it's in minutes playing time or just what his role on the field is in that attacking, in that attacking half you know, he had some good runs and good touches on the ball. And then it was just great to see Nicholas Dewar make his debut for St. Louis. Uh, did you see anything noteworthy about these subs or, or were you excited the fact that we were actually able to maintain our form and our business throughout this 90 minutes? Yeah, I really liked uh, those uh, like for like uh, subs and uh, being able to keep uh, the formation. But uh, on, on the indie substitution uh it was a little earlier than uh, what we usually see uh, mm -hmm. from bradley carnell and uh, indy was having a a good game and uh, he he didn't look happy uh, but yeah carnell must have seen something and also wanted to uh, get klaus out there but uh, but yeah it's great that that things uh, worked so well last night uh, and you have a player that uh had a great game and yeah he i think he wanted to stay longer and he didn't like it but at the end uh, i think uh, just taking in consideration uh, four games in 11 days um, it's it's a good move to to make too and this is this is foreshadowing something that we're probably going to need to talk about in the next few weeks which is the depth of st louis city as as deeper deeper as it is compared to last year has been a, a net positive for us in these first few weeks where you have four matches in 11, 12 days, you have the need to rotate very quickly and, and expend this depth. But like we talked about on Thursday's fallout or Thursday's flyover, we don't have another midweek match until mid May with LAFC. So we're, we, we now know for sure we're not competing in the open cup. We're out of champions cup. We have regular weekend matches, weekend rotation of matches for the next few months. So this kind of sub where you're seeing Klaus come in early for Indiana Vasilev, the starting 11 that we rolled out, the depth that we have with Klaus, Vasilev, Sam, Ostrak, AZ, Thor, Dewar, Markanik, all of these conversations of who's going to start, subs are going to be an interesting thing to watch to see how we're able to find playing time for all these guys. Because if you have a midfield, if Blom was healthy, and you have a midfield that consists of Blom, Durkin, and Leuven, and you're playing two of those three, then how are you going to find minutes consistently for all those players? I, I don't want to get ahead of myself thinking there might be loan possibilities, but I just wonder how Carnell is going to manage that. I think that's way too early of a conversation. But, you know, these things are, are just wondering ahead of the congested June, which you're going to need all these guys again in June. 
what's the sub plan going to be look like and how are you going to manage minutes? I also think that it's going to create that much more hunger and drive for these guys to prove themselves in training so that when you get to the weekend and you see what the starting 11 is, knowing the potential, knowing what our bench looks like and the higher quality that exists there, I think you can go into each weekend knowing that we're going to be sending out our absolute best 11 that is going to be at a higher quality because they push themselves so much more, so much more internal competition than we've ever seen before. Yeah, that internal competition uh, is going gonna, is gonna to get uh, really interesting in the next few weeks. And Celio uh, um, said it um, during his remarks post-game that uh, he had been wanting to star and contribute. And uh, I also talked to him um, during media day, and basically he, he echoed those comments. He was like, I'm ready. I think uh, I can assist uh, I can also score goals and and he mentioned yeah everybody has been playing really well and it, it's an internal competition but uh, I feel like I'm ready so I, I think it's a good problem to have to um, every week uh, just have to pick your best 11 and and these guys are professionals and uh, they, they're gonna have that healthy competition that is gonna raise their, their level so that's that's good I like that and Kevin Hall in chat asks thinking some of these guys will see minutes for city two. And I do think that's going to be a conversation that we talk about in the next few weeks when they kick off, because as a reminder for the way the schedules are worked out, City plays a majority of their matches on Saturday. City 2 plays a majority of their matches on Sunday. That's very intentional by MLS Next Pro and MLS to to coordinate because it offers that ability for if a player doesn't get the number of minutes that they need or or are prescribed on Saturday, then they have the opportunity to slide down and play for City 2 with no real roster restrictions. So that's something that we saw with some of the other teams in 2022. We saw it a little bit with City last year with guys like Isak Jensen, Akil Watts, AZ Jackson early in the season. And so, yeah, I do wonder at at some point here in April or May, especially, are we going to start seeing a few of the guys who don't find minutes? Maybe an Anthony Marcanic if Nicholas Dewar really takes hold of that left back spot. Maybe Akil Watts, you know, maybe some of these guys who they they are first teamers and they are contributing first teamers maybe some of the guys who we've just talked about in this game and are continuing to talk about but they might just need minutes and so that's going to be fun to watch that adds to the excitement of city 2 i think santi in the second half of this game uh, as we talk about some of the overall stories one of the things that i made note of is that in the 60th minute of the second half by my count it was our first big cross into the box and I made note of this because of, of the the passing that we talked about early with City with City in the past few games, and this one being a lot crisper than we're used to. But also, the way that we were progressing the ball into the final third seemed so much more intentional and direct to goal, as opposed to letting our wide attacking mids play the ball to the end line and then send it in for service, where we just didn't have numbers. And that was a big. Uh, it was a big issue in the past few games. And I think that led to being spread out too wide in the attacking third and not any of the chances being created significantly by the fact that Salio initiated the first big cross in the box at 60 minutes. And given everything that we've talked about, about the effectiveness of St. Louis's passing and their direct to goal, is this something that you think is indicative of the way that just the difference in city's approach to goal in this game? Yeah, definitely a hundred percent, and um, that's that's good to see that the team doesn't have to rely so much on 
on those crosses and um, can um, just uh, create more chances by uh, by having players uh, make quick touches uh, in the middle. And uh, I also mentioned the, the long range uh, shots. Uh, so now the team uh, has more options and doesn't have to rely so much on, on the crosses. So uh, that's good uh, down the road that that's going to be very useful and uh, it's going to give uh, opposition um, more things to think about that because city will have uh, multiple dimensions uh, when they go attacking instead of uh, what we so what we have seen previously that relies too much on those uh, quick transitions and um, then uh, crosses so um, so yeah it's good options to have for sure santi this was the second game of two mls games where scab refs were in charge did you make note of the fact that every foul opportunity that we had was attempted by for a quick start by St. Louis City? They wasted absolutely no time, especially in the second half. I, I really noticed this in the second half where we would draw a foul and then immediately try for a restart to initiate the transition that you just talked about, where we, we play well in those transition moments and trying to catch them off guard. It really seemed like St. Louis had had noticed that the refs were not preventing quick starts from occurring. And so they took advantage of it time after time after time to help catch New York City off guard. And I don't think I noticed a single time where the ref said, hang on, players aren't ready yet, or, or something needs to come back. Did you did you see that this, this advantage being taken of the refs was as prevalent as I did? Yeah, no. I, and I like when the refs uh, let play continue. Uh, I think there was one, but it was actually for New York City, uh, where <laughs> he better. didn't let when he where he didn't let them uh, play quickly. But but yeah, uh, yeah, and it is replacement refs. Uh, but um, I like I think he did a good job yesterday, um, and even that decision about the red card that we're gonna talk about. Um, I yep. I think I think the refs didn't have anything to do with with the outcome yesterday. So so that's good to 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 see when you don't have anything to say about the ref. Um these are the kind of games I like to talk about. While they didn't they didn't have too much trouble allowing those immediate restarts, they definitely were card happy with five cards for City, four cards for New York City. And we will talk about that red card here in a minute. But before the red card, it was the second goal. Sam Adenaran, the thing everybody's talking about today with that amazing left-footed strike. It was a combination of sloppy New York City turnovers and a very clinical transition game by St. Louis City. This is this might be the transition moment and the overall play by St. Louis that if you look at one single play as this is what you need to emulate for the rest of the season in order to be successful, this is it for me. And I, I hope to hold on to that. I hope to refer back to this New York City as the match that started it all. Started from a restart on St. Louis's right side mid by New York City FC. There was a ball over near the touchline. They tried to switch it long past our midfield and over to their attacking wing on the far side, but it was intercepted by Salio on our left. Salio with a quick chest settle passed it to Leuven for a give and go. This this was so picture perfect you could watch it over and over again. Leuven received it. He sent it in stride to Salio. Sam joined in that transition in the attacking third. Sam Adenaran points to his spot. He calls his spot with Celio Pompeu. Pompeu dribbles inside once, draws in both defenders that are trying to cover those two players before sending it on the outside. Perfect spot. Sam Adenaran can go grab the ball and then give it a strong left-footed shot that just blows by Freeze. 2-0 St. Louis. 
I love how Adeniran called the spot, and uh, then when when Celio uh, put it there, I for a minute I thought, ah, oh, maybe he doesn't have a space. He's gonna have to uh, maybe pass it to the back. But Sam Adeniran, he's so dangerous. He can he can shot from anywhere. He can shoot from anywhere, and uh, and create chances. And uh, and yeah, he saw that that freeze. Maybe was thinking the same. Oh, he's gonna pass it to the back or, or do something different, but he took the opportunity and it went by, by freeze. I, I don't think freeze had a, had a second to, to think mm-hmm. about it. And, uh, yeah, just Sam and second goal, uh, in two MLS matches. And he's starting the year where, where he left off, uh, last year. Let's talk about the red card now, Santi 82nd minute. James Sands is served a straight red card after a tussle with Chris Durkin. Now, watching the play live, obviously I didn't see the extent of what happened with Sands and Durkin in their tussle, but Durkin was receiving a yellow for the tie-up, and then Sands received a straight red after studs up to the stomach of Chris Durkin. That's how the play ended up unfolding. And what was fascinating to me is re-watching this on the broadcast because they talked through it really well. They explained that the ref was already grabbing for his yellow card as the players were going down. So Durkin was getting the yellow card. That was without question. But it was VAR that initiated the review. They called down and said, there's more to this match. Don't restart it, which had the head ref go look, take a look. And it didn't take long for to see that replay, to see that as Durkin is going over Sands, Sands studs go straight into Durkin's midsection. And that's immediately call for a straight red, despite the fact that Sands was already sitting on a yellow, had nothing to do with that previous yellow. So this was a pretty cut and dry thing for me. What did you see? Yeah, initially I didn't see it either uh, during the run of play, but yeah, then um, when they showed the the replay uh, and then after watching the the, the highlights uh, this morning, yeah, yeah, definitely uh, he went with the studs up and um, yeah, he was deserving of a, Red car, and I think at that point it's more frustration. Like you are down to nothing, and um, not much you can do to uh, to get back in the game. Um, just one of those plays uh, between two players trying to to get the ball, and uh, it got it just got uh, on on James Sands, and uh, it just got uh, way more than what he should have done. And yeah, it, it was a, a straight red car. Uh, good decision by the ref. Any other moments in the game you want to talk about before we go into some of our player spotlights? No, let's talk about um, some players that did well, which uh, I have a feeling this list is going to be quite long. It's quite long, so let's let's be a little brief with uh, what we ha- some of the players we've already talked about uh, and, and talked about them in the run of play. But before the individual players that had some really really high caliber moments, um, first, just like we mentioned, spotlighting Nicholas Dewar making his first appearance for St. Louis City. He had the debut patch. And this is, I, I mentioned this also because Nicholas Dewar has been a point of conversation and just questioning of when is he going to appear? He came on with such fanfare in the context of what he was bringing to the team as the other half of that fullback overhaul that we did in the offseason. Coming in late to camp, he had his full offseason right before he came into camp. So I looked at Nicholas Dewar as what Carnell said this week. It was an offseason for him. He came in late to camp, so he was a few weeks behind all of the other players in his overall fitness. It didn't have to do with the fact that he had a different 
type of offseason compared to City from their November to December layoff, it was the timing of it all. It was December to January. So coming on a few weeks later, now he's getting some minutes, his first appearance late in the game. Maybe it starts to progress from here. I don't know at what point he starts, but I do think in the next few weeks he will get that opportunity. What do you think about Nicholas Dewar? Do you think he's on that kind of progression? Yeah, obviously he's going to start to get minutes, but uh, talking about internal competition, he's going to have to uh, he's going to have to work to to get yeah. that spot because Anthony Marcanica is doing really well. Um, so that's going to be a a good battle between those two, and and yeah, maybe you can think about rotating them, and uh, when the schedule get gets congested, you will have that option too. One plays one game, the other one plays the other, but uh, it's going to be a, a great competition between Markanik and Nicolas Duer. But yeah, we're going to see him progressing with, with his minutes. Um, I'm, I'm, I think probably three, four weeks until he starts, uh, but we'll see. We'll see based on our consensus projections that we send out. We'll see how many times you list Nicholas Dewar in our starting 11. Maybe he makes an away appearance against Austin or LA Galaxy in the next few weeks. We'll find that out. But one player that we don't have to worry about kind of an internal competition is Roman Berkey. Roman Berkey earned his first clean sheet of the season. He didn't have a ton to work. He was kind of standing on his head a little bit. But there were some moments that he really made his presence known I can remember a few times that he came outside the box to be that that last man back in defending, which is a key piece. I love being able to point to this type of a play where we have a Joachim Nilsson or a Tim Parker who are our last men back, and they're pressing so high up, and they have that faith and that confidence that they can do what they want to do higher up the field because they know Roman Berkey is back there. And his spatial awareness and his intelligence in going for the ball versus falling back to goal is so high level. And the only chance that he had to deal with actually on target was that one tussle that he had at the end of the first half uh, to take away their high percentage chance as, as much as it was. But that was another level where New York City was progressing the ball, like you said earlier. They found, they slipped it in behind the city defense and Berkey identified the spacing between New York City and, and himself in net. And he was able to, really blocked that easily without much of an issue. Um, Heine Wolf really didn't have a chance. Anything other uh, noteworthy or just overall accolades to Roman Berkey, first clean sheet of the season? No, it's great to see that first clean sheet. And uh, yeah, he didn't have a lot of work, but that speaks to uh, the work that the team is doing defensively. So mm -hmm. that was great to see overall. All right, we talked about Celio Pompeu a little bit. He was the player of the match both in vote and on FOTMOB based on his stats. One goal, one assist. He had two chances created, including a shot off the post in the first. He had 51 total touches, which led all attackers. Yeah, we had a lot of touches overall in this game, a lot more so than we normally do. But Celio led our attackers in touches. He had four passes into the final third. He won both of his attempted tackles. He had three recoveries and overall six duels won. A lot to like about what Salio brought to this game, including recording his first goal of the season and becoming the fourth different player to score for City across all competitions this year. Salio now has three goals and five assists in his St. Louis City career. Post-game, this quote that I alluded to earlier, when I have the chance to start, I want to do my best. I want to prove to everybody that I can start, I can play, I can help the team in many ways, and that's what I do. But even if I come off the bench, I just want to do my best, put my energy out there, do my things in one verse ones, be aggressive. And yeah, of course, I'm always every day trying to prove something. 
And it's not like I'm trying to prove something for somebody just for myself every day to be better and to push myself. I, I, I love that. Uh, it's been great to see um, his progression from CD2 to uh, the first team uh, coming off the bench. Last year, he, he started some games uh, while Klaus uh, was out. And um, seeing him start this year too and, and take advantage of that and score a goal and, and assist and being uh, important uh, in the game, um, it's great to see from from Celio. Um, definitely, uh, we're going to see more of him. I really like... Uh, that midfield with Celio on the left and hmm. Basilev on the right. I, I hope we get to see more of that in the next few games. I completely agree. That attacking four of Celio, AZ, Indy, and Sam up top, I would love if we ran that back next week. And it speaks to what are we going to do with these one match every week with all of these hungry mouths to feed and what do you? how do you see your best 11 lining up week in and week out one player that I don't think you can question at this point in time is a mainstay in the starting 11 is Sam Adenaran. I don't know how you would explain pulling him out at any point right now with the form that he's in. He scored his second goal in MLS play this season. He has scored 10 goals in the last 16 MLS games. And post-game, in answering what he saw before his goal, this speaks to that call in his shot, pointing to the space. He said, I think there were a couple times where I was in that position before where I didn't take a shot. I saw that the goalkeeper was kind of off his line a little bit. It wasn't towards his post. So I thought I had an angle there. I thought in those situations, you just kind of hit it as hard as you can and hope for the best. I mean, I, I know as a professional, hearing from a professional, you might think that we have this like super special tactic that we use, but sometimes it's just hit it as hard as you can and hope for the best. Yeah, I, I saw a post on, on social media uh, Somebody put out there. He was like, "One of these days, uh, Sam Adenian is gonna is gonna hurt uh, one of the goalkeepers just because he, yep. he shoots the ball so so hard." But uh, but yeah, um, Sam Adenian is on a great run. But that leads uh, leads me to think that uh, we're gonna start seeing uh, more rumors about him, and uh, maybe the team will lose oh. him uh, during the summer window. I hate to talk oh. about that, but the way he's playing, I think it's coming. Yeah, I suppose that's the nature of the beast where you can't help but wonder, you can't help but project for a guy like Sam who clearly has those ambitions and is clearly on a different level. When he competes for things like golden boots, you wonder with those things looming what it might look like. But a guy who we don't have to worry about in that scenario, I think, at least for a little while, is Joachim Nilsson. Coming back after a glute injury to take him out of the last game on Tuesday, played the full 90 but he had the least amount of touches of any outfield player who played 90 last night. He had notable 1v1 defending that I saw. He had good pace to chase attacking players. And I credit his, his ability to frustrate New York City in those ways and prevent their ability to counter us. Now, he had the least amount of touches, but he did lead the team in duels, duels one with nine, tied with Indiana Vasilev. The effectiveness that he had on our back line, where if you look at the positioning, he was clearly a little bit more deep than Tim Parker. I think that's what his role in this offense is going to be. He's that player who you count on to be the final man back, the 1v1 defender, the guy who can take care of those of shutting down those runs. And so he's not going to have a lot of on-the-ball moments, but his off-the-ball play is just so high level. And what we heard from Joachim Nilsson post-game 
is, quote, I didn't have the preseason I hoped for, and with a tight schedule I've been playing and the things that are going on with our center backs, I've been needing to play more minutes. My body felt like I felt in the last game against Houston, and and that really had to, had to fight through it. But today, I felt fresh again. Like I said the last time I was here, I want to play 90 minutes as much as possible in every game, but you need to prepare for anything as well. And to see Joachim Nilsson bouncing back like this, to see him with, and the preseason he mentions is he had to go back to Sweden to get his green card. So he now has a green card. He's not an international player as far as the rules go. And so he has all that taken care of. The page is turned on that. Just like Leuven had this performance tonight and the page is turned for him. Page is turned for Joachim Nilsson. He's fit. He's healthy. How long have we been waiting to say those words that Joachim Nilsson is fit and healthy? Because what I saw last night on Saturday's match is the Joachim Nilsson who was a mainstay for Sweden's back line before we signed him and the Joachim Nilsson that we hoped we would see for City. Yeah, yeah. Having uh, Nilsson and Parker in, in the back line, uh, it's something we have been waiting for a long time. And and seeing Nilsson perform the way he did, uh, he also led the team in, in clearances with eight and uh, he, uh, you were you were mentioning that uh, he's like that like, like that last uh, player in the back line, and uh, yeah, like he tracked like so much. He he had so many runs uh, on the first half, and yeah, he didn't have a lot of touches. Uh, but yeah, like uh, he just he was just all over the place, and uh, um, also uh, winning uh, aerial duels. Um, like he he was a very complete player. Last night, I was a little concerned uh, when he was running so much on the first half. I was like, oh, he's not yeah. going to be able to to play 90 minutes. But um, in the end, he, he played the whole game. And um, I was also concerned. And, and I told you to don't listen to me when, when we were talking <laughs> about uh, lineups. Uh, I didn't think he was going to to start. And then uh, the team uh, signs uh, Michael Wenzel on a short-term loan. So... Everything was pointing towards Nilsson not starting, but in the mm-hmm. end, uh, the Benson signing, I think it was more to have him there in case uh, something happened or Nilsson was tired. But uh, little by little, he's getting to that fitness level and um, 90 minutes in the two uh, MLS matches. Now the team doesn't have midweek matches, so um, things are looking right for um, for Joachim Nilsson. Yeah, you get... Hebert or Yarrow healthy to provide cover. You can play Nerwinski as a right back. So you're seeing a little more, a little more exhaling when it comes to the back line of St. Louis City with Joachim Nilsson. Let's shift to the midfield because the couple players that I want to spotlight here in their role, partially because it was so impressive, but also different than what we had seen before. Chris Durkin and Edu Leuven. Chris Durkin had the most chances created of any player. Edu Leuven led City in passes with 56, touches with 80, and recoveries with 12. These guys played their roles to a, to perfection for me in their double pivot, seeing Chris Durkin as the sixth against the center defensive mid, who at times did push high when he needed to help with the press, but overall just helped dictate where the ball was going to go to initiate some of these chances. And then Edu Leuven, boy, what can you, what can you really say about Edu Leuven more than this was his return to form in what he was able to do? Freedom on the field. Edu Leuven has, I've heard so many calls this past week for Edu Leuven to play the 10, to be the number on his back, to move more in an attacking role. But I personally, and I know everybody has a different thing that they see in the game. Personally, I don't see that as his, his best spot on the field. 
He'll tell you he likes to play deeper in the field. I think it's so he can have more of a vision and more of an ability to manage the overall pace of play and be the person who really is the engine of the team. He did that in this game with touches, passes, able to able to get the ball back and be that first player who initiates the outlet, like with the second goal. This is where Edu Leuven shines, not just on being able to goal score off set pieces, being that perfect toucher on set pieces, but in the flow of play, Leuven is the eight where he can go left to right. He has some flexibility and freedom not to be pigeonholed to the left in a diamond or to be in the attacking third and not and to be more of a receiver than a distributor and an initiator. This is Edu Leuven at his best, and this is really where I want to see. So Bloom and Durkin are the 1A, 1B in that pivot right now. Durkin says all the time that he wants to he wants to be a creator. He wants to be that other person who does the dirty work so that others can do what they need to do. And this partnership worked fantastically for City last night. Yeah, yeah, that Durkin, uh, Lewin duo was great to see. You mentioned that uh, Jabulo Blom uh, had a knock uh, mm-hmm. during the week. Uh, I, I still want to see... Uh, Blom and and Dorking uh, playing. Hopefully, we'll we'll see that that soon, and uh, maybe Lubin with with more freedom um, in front of them. But uh, but yeah, no, Lubin uh, keeps also getting uh, that confidence back. He also missed uh, some of the preseason for the mm-hmm. same reason. Joachim Nilsson missed it, um, and little by little, he he continues getting to that fitness level. Uh, he mentioned uh, last week that uh, it's going to take him a few games to. To get there, but um, I like uh, I like his progression, and uh, hopefully he, he'll be back to uh, that player that we saw last year, like uh, early in the season and mid-season. Um, in the end, at the end of the season, uh, he uh, I, I don't I don't know if maybe he didn't recover from that injury fully, or or his confidence wasn't there. But uh, I I like um, for Lewin to get back to uh, what we saw last year early in the season. Santi, any other notes on some players you want to spotlight or anything? No, I mean, we didn't get into so much. Like, you could go person by person here. We didn't talk about Thomas Totland's uh, specific plays. We didn't talk about Marcanic. Both of them had so high-performance two-way plays. We didn't talk as much about AZ Jackson, who I think was the one player that I would have liked to see a little more Christmas on some of his passing. But, man, did he keep the ball when he was going up against 1v2s a lot. He he His ability to not just press but also retain possession was really good at times. And when you have a performance like this, you really can't point to any single player as you need to do so much better. This was really a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Yeah, and I'm sure the coaching staff will will find some things that uh, they want to make corrections on. But uh, but yeah, overall uh, a great um, showing by the team by every player and just the bounce back uh, game that you needed after uh, this uh, congested schedule and uh, not uh, making it to the next round of Concacaf Champions Cup. Now you uh, focus on on MLS and you have more time to plan. For games and um, it was a it was a good bounce back and uh, now thinking about two games away it was mm. important to to get the three points. This was big, so let's hit some of these takeaways as we get out of here. St. Louis City SC are now 11-0-1 when scoring the first goal at City Park in regular season play. How important is that? They moved to 2-0-1 at City Park across all competitions in 2024. City SC is now 14-5-3 as the home team across all comps in the past two years. And moving forward this year, 
St. Louis goes to 1-0-1. That's one win and one draw in two MLS matches. They sit tied for first with Portland, LA Galaxy, Real Salt Lake, and Minnesota United. St. Louis is also now just one of six teams who remain undefeated in the Western Conference through two weeks of play. We're already seeing some of the some of the shifts in those separations. St. Louis going forward will travel to Austin FC next Saturday night. Austin drew Seattle 0-0 on Saturday, and we're going to have a full preview of that on next week's Flyover Footy as St. Louis, like Santi said, starts a two-game road trip. Santi, any parting words? No, no, just very happy about um, what the team did last night and looking forward to a visit to to Austin, uh, which is a place where the team uh, made good memories at last year. Absolutely. First of two trips that will happen early in the season for Austin. Austin will be an interesting opponent. We'll see if uh, we'll see how that lineup shakes out. I look forward to previewing it with you and and the crew over on Flyover. Thank you so much for joining us here on Flyover Fallout. We are excited to be back at it for 2024. And who doesn't love talking about a win the day after? If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, please do on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get it. Follow us on all the socials at Flyover Footy. And we thank you so much for joining us in chat live for our stream or if you're listening to us later on the podcast. I'm Matt Baker for Santiago Beltran. Thank you. And we'll talk to you later. Vamos City.